Amen. What are you facing this week? What challenges are you up against? How many of you would say you've got some challenges you're going to face? You know this. They, they seem daunting, big. How many of you have some enemies that are coming against you, trying to attack you? Amen? If God is for you, who can be against you? What shall we say to these things that the Scripture says? Amen? Really, what are they? A financial challenge? What is that in perspective of God? Relationships. Maybe your teenagers, your kids. What is it? Is it too hard for God? Amen? Is it too hard for God? Let's, uh, let's do this. Just stand where you're at. Lift your hands. And whatever you're facing. You know, a lot of times we magnify those problems. And they become so big. We focus on them. We concentrate on them. They take our energy. They take our, our, our mental focus. But let's exalt the Lord above them. Amen. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, the trials, every trial, every circumstance, every situation that folks are facing today, Lord God. Father, you are with them in it, Lord God. And you are greater. You are stronger, Lord God. You are more powerful, Lord God. You are able, Lord God. You are the God of the impossible. Nothing is too hard for you, Lord God. Father, we give our circumstance to you, Lord God. These relationships the financial challenges, Lord God, the, the, the medical prognosis, Lord God, all of these things, Lord God, we lay them at your feet, Lord God, and we declare that you are more than enough in every situation. You are a provider. You are a healer. You are a defender. You're a God of restoration. You're a God of hope. You're a God of peace. You're a God of help, oh God. You are greater. Father, right now we repent from focusing on these things, Lord God, for magnifying them, Lord God, and we turn to you. We magnify you. We exalt you. We celebrate you, Lord God. We focus upon you. Lord, our gaze is set from this moment upon you, Lord God. Father, change and transform our minds, Lord God. We thank you for it, Lord God. Give us faith. Give us confidence. Give us boldness, Lord God. Give us hope. Give us peace instead of worry and fear, Lord God. Father, we thank you for it. And we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. 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 Some of us need re renewal of the mind. Amen. We need our minds renewed. We need our perspective re refreshed. Amen. Some, some, how many of you have ever felt like you need a removal of the mind? Like you just need your mind disconnected. Amen. We need the mind of Christ. Amen. A different outlook, a different perspective. Amen. God bless each and every one of you. I know you just sat down, but let, let's stand together. We're going to get ready to take our offering. And uh, so prepare to give. Prepare to give. And uh, there's many ways you could do that. Our, our ushers are going to come. You can put your offering in the offering plate. You can also go to returnchurch.org and give there. If you're into the digital uh, kind of giving, you can do that as well. So there's just a little button there. It's on every page. The button, just a little circle at the bottom of the page. Hit that, and that will allow you to go to the page where you can give. So you can give online or you can give in person today. All right, cash, check, however you want to give. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your goodness. You are good. 
You're good. You're awesome. You're amazing, Lord God. I thank you for your faithfulness to us, Lord God. Lord, I thank you for your patience with us. I thank you for your kindness to us, Lord God. You are so good. And Lord, we bless you today. We honor you, Lord God. We honor you with the first fruits of our sustenance, Lord God. Everything that you have given us, Lord God, we declare it's yours. We acknowledge that with our tithe today. Father, we bless you. We honor you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you give. Amen. While we're doing that, just a little something fun we're going to do here two weeks from today. We did this last year. How many of you remember the Big Hats and Bowties Sunday last year? It was a lot of fun. So we're going to do that this year again with a twist. Uh, so how many of you have noticed uh, Dave Miller's awesome bolo ties that he wears? So men, bow ties or bolos? You take your pick. Bow ties or bolos, big hats, bow ties, and bolos. So two weeks from today, it'll be a lot of fun. Sunday best. It'll be a lot of fun. How many of you remember when we used to dress up for church? So, and I would choke halfway through the message and undo my tie. Y'all remember those days? All right, so we'll relive it two weeks from today. Just for fun. It's going to be a good time. So, all right, looking forward to getting into the Word of God. We're going to baptize at the end of our service today. Wasn't last Sunday amazing? All those baptisms. Yeah, so if you, if you weren't here, if you weren't here, we had people coming up off, the, off their chairs in their street clothes and jumping in the baptismal, and it was awesome. So we, we had some folks that wanted to get baptized last Sunday, and uh, we didn't get them in, and they didn't have their clothes, and et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to continue that, and uh, we're going to baptize at the end of, of today's service. So we, we took a break from our, our Philippians series. We're getting back into Philippians. And uh, yeah, kids are dismissed. You can take your kids to the kids program. Uh, but we're, we're, we were in uh, for two weeks a series called The Good News, talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how many of you know that's good news? Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. Hey, David Beatty, Carol, God bless you. It's good to see you. Amen. Awesome. Good to see you here this morning. Glad you're here. Yeah, so we're going to get back into Philippians, and so we're going to look uh, back into chapter 1. We're, we're going to wrap up chapter 1, but not today. <laughs> so this is, this is taking a while. We started this back in January, but it's been good. It's been good. And so we're going to look today in, in, in Philippians chapter 1, and uh, we're going to read verses 27 through 30, 27 through 30, and... We're actually going to camp down in this passage for the next, I don't know, two or three weeks and just kind of dive into this and uh, something, and really it's, it's the heart of the book, the principle that we're going to begin to unlook at, which is unity, unity. It's the heart of this entire book of Philippians. The, the book of Philippians was written because there was a division. We're going to look a little bit more into that division uh, next week. But this book was written to encourage unity in, in the church at Philippi. There was some striving. There were some people that weren't working together, walking together, and advancing agendas. And so because of that, the Apostle Paul really wrote this letter for two, concern, two reasons. Number one, because they were concerned about him and his well-being. And number two, just to address this issue of unity in, in the church. And he sets himself as an example. He calls himself a servant talks about Timothy, who is a servant. He, he presents Jesus, who is a servant, because the way we overcome disunity is how? 
Serving. Serving. And this constant theme through the book, be of one mind, be of the same mind, right? And that's, that's the theme that he is driving home throughout this book. And so we're going to look at this in, in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. And our title today is Striving Together, Striving Together. And this passage actually really has two major concepts, striving and suffering. And we'll get to the suffering later, but we're going to look at the uh, striving together in unity right now. So, uh, verse 27, only let your, your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. We talked about that gospel for the last two weeks, the good news. Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, the fact that he has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he's pouring his spirit out upon us. That, that really, ultimately, is the good news. That he's pouring his spirit out on us. That his spirit dwells in us. That's ultimately, really, the good news. Those of us who were separated from God now are containers for the presence of God, that he lives in us. That really ultimately is the good news. Our our sin problem has been dealt with so we can have right relationship with God. We can have fellowship. We can be the temple of God because of what Jesus has done. That's, That's really ultimately the good news. Amen? And so because of that good news, he says that our conduct should be worthy Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, the way that you're relating, the way that you're living, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. So he says, if you'll do this, if you'll be of one mind, one spirit, you have no reason to fear your enemies. And this this unity that God really has done, the unity has been set by God into his body by the work of the cross. And because of this, to our enemies, it is a sign of perdition. In other words, of their death and damnation. But to you, it's of your salvation. How many of you recognize we have enemies? Right? We're going to look at that. I'll show you that here in just a second. We have, we have enemies. And so our unity to them is a sign to them that they are dead and damned But for us, it's a sign that we are alive in Christ. For this has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. All right? So he talks about, in in verse 27, being our, our standing fast in one spirit, being with one mind, and striving together for the faith of the gospel. So that's really what we want to focus in on today. And just another verse, like we talked about enemies. He, he deals with it in chapter 3. Uh, let's begin in verse 17. We'll, we'll just read this. This is not on the overhead, but uh, just you can turn in your Bible and look there. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. 
For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is their destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven. That's an important statement. We'll, We'll look at that. Don't want to get ahead of where we're at, but that's really an important statement. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we, have, we eagerly wait for the salvation. Remember, we talked about that. We are saved, being saved, and we will be saved. We're waiting for that final salvation. So we're eagerly waiting for that, that Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. All right? So he, he, he again, speaks of enemies. Enemies. Why, why does he speak to the enemies in this book? Twice. In, in the passage that we first read in chapter 1 and here in chapter 3. Why? I, I, I believe it's because of this. The, the enemy, whenever there's division, has a foothold. That's why in, in Corinthians he says, I forgive. He talks about a man that has, has brought an offense in the church, and he said, I forgive this man, lest Satan, our enemy, should have a stronghold. Right? So he's talking about enemies in the context of this striving, of this conflict, of the offense in the church, the, the disagreements that are there, the uh, uh, you know, uh, un- unforgiveness, whatever it is that's working in this church. He, he's speaking of this, reminding them, hey, Let's be united, because when we're united front, we are not susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. But whenever we refuse to forgive, when we walk in a way that's disunifying, right? When we're striving against each other instead of striving together, the enemy has a place in the church where he can work. We have to work towards unity. It takes a lot of work. How many of you are married? Right? It, it, it takes work to have unity. Right? How many of you have more than one child? It takes work to maintain unity with your, with your kids. Right? I mean, how many of your kids are fist fighters? I've got three boys. That's all you have to say, right? It, it takes work to maintain unity. How many of you come to church? It takes work to maintain unity, right? Anytime we're in relationship, it takes work to have unity in that relationship. The Apostle Paul talks about that. He says, I therefore, and this is in Ephesians chapter 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. Walk worthy. You, You have been called by the Lord Jesus for the glory of the gospel, for the work of the kingdom. Amen? You have been called. He's admonishing us. Walk worthy of that calling. Saint of God, child of God. Remember we looked at the fact we are saints? We looked at that in the first few verses of this this, uh, book of Philippians. We are saints. Saints of God, you are called with a high calling. How do we respond to that? Walk low. We need to learn to walk low. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. 
So there's, there's three words here that really are the keys to unity. If we're going to have unity in a relationship, if we're going to have unity in a church or a marriage, these three things are key. Lowliness, humility. It's important. If we're going to have unity, it's important that we are humble, that we walk with lowliness, gentleness, right? So I, I am adamant about sound doctrine. Like, I, I believe the Bible. I, I believe that everything the Bible says is true. And you know, it, the, the, the uh, temptation is because we have truth to, to d- dig in and become abrasive with that truth. Like, we've got all the truth and you're just wrong. Line up, you knucklehead, right? And, and we begin to beat people w- with truth. That, that's not really the way that we, we change hearts and minds. Gentleness. Gentleness. We're, we're called to be gentle. Uh, just because you have the truth, you, you, you can still have disunity. You can use the, the truth as a great dividing, and, and the truth does divide, right? At the end of the day, if people are going to reject truth and go towards sin and all that, there, there is division that comes. But I'm talking in the body, if we're believers, hey, how many of you realize that we don't all see everything exactly the same? Right? And it's amazing. Men of God can read the same scripture and come up with two different conclusions. Godly men, God-fearing men who love God and love the Bible and worship the Lord every day. And we come up with different ideas about what a passage says. You know how we overcome that? With gentleness. Working together. Right? I, I, I encourage you, get some friends that don't agree with you on everything that you believe. It's challenging, but it's good for us. It really is. I'll, I'll talk more about that in just a minute. But gentleness. If we're going to have unity, we've got to have some gentleness. With long-suffering, you know what that means? It means to suffer long. That means we're locked in a room and we have to put, a, put up with each other for a long, long time. Right? I'm, I'm sure you can think of somebody here at church or at work or in your family or somewhere that just grates on your nerves. And God says, suffer long with them. Right? So these, these three things are essential. They're, they're key. Bearing with one another in love. This is, this is where God calls us to walk. And he says, in endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And that, that word keep there is an important word. That word keep maintain is the way that you could read that some translations read that way endeavoring to maintain you see god has set unity in his church the cross brings unity into the church it's our flesh that brings disunity we have a responsibility to keep to maintain the unity to work towards unity of spirit and the bond of peace wherever there's unity there is peace. Unity is essential in the church because where there is not unity, there's confusion. There's, there's striving. The bad, striving together is good. Striving against each other in the body is not healthy. Right? It's not. People don't come to church because they want to see church fights. They come to church because they're looking for a refuge. They're looking for a safe place, right? 
And so we have to strive to keep unity, to maintain unity. And, and we, have to, we have to be humble if we're going to do this. We're going, we have to be gentle if we're going to do this. We have to suffer long if we're going to do this. This is what God, the lifestyle that God's calling us to. And he reminds then in verse 4, he says, there is only one body. We need to remember that. There's lots of churches around town. There's lots of denominations. But there's only one body. And it's comprised of everyone who names the name of Jesus, who is a true follower of Christ, who has been baptized in his spirit. We are one body. Amen. We're not against any church in this town. We're not opposed to them. We are, we are partners together with them in the gospel. Right? There's only one body, one spirit. There's only one spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, there's one Lord, one faith. There's only one faith. And, and that's why it's important that we don't get entrenched in our opinion about what the scripture says. We, we need to allow our idea of what the scripture says to be massaged. To, to, so that we can come, and we're gonna see this later on in this passage, to we come to the place of true unity in the faith. Right, there are things that we divide over. Churches divide over, like the Godhead, oneness and Trinity, they, they divide over baptismal formulas. Uh, we, we could put together probably a long list. Worship styles, all kinds of things that we could do that we, where, where churches divide. Your church denomination doesn't have a, mark, a corner on the truth, a monopoly on truth. All truth is here. And none of us in this room have a complete, I, I've studied the Bible for 25 years. There are lots of things that I do not understand about the Bible. There are, in 25 years, there are doctrines and things that have shifted. You know why? Because it's been revealed to me from the scriptures that what I believed was wrong. And so I'm changing. I'm growing. And if we, if we get uh, stoic in our beliefs, if we get set in concrete on things that, that aren't necessarily true, that brings conflict in the body of Christ. We're working, and we're going to see this, we're working towards a unity of faith, and we'll see this as we go. There's only one faith. There's one baptism. Everyone who has been named by the name of Jesus, everyone who has been born again, we are baptized into his death. Really, ultimately, that's the only baptism that there is. There's one baptism. We've been baptized into it. One God and one Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. And then skipping down, verse 11, it says, he himself gave some to, to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. God gave these offices as gifts to the church to lead the church. Fivefold ministry. How many of you have heard of that? All right, so here, here's a clear picture to help you remember that. You got five fingers. Right? So when we were in Bible college and we, we, would, we would debate doctrine in Bible college, we would argue, right? Are you pre-trib or post-trib? Pre-millennial, post-millennial, all-millennial. I, I knew who believed what. I, could, I would get those people in a room. I knew they had the polar opposite belief systems. I would start a discussion about it, get them arguing, and then I'd walk out. And those are some of that, we, we learn more in the dormitory arguing sometimes than we did 
in the lecture hall. It was iron sharpening iron, right? We came to a better understanding of the truth of God's word through that process. And then sometimes we'd get upset. You know what we would say? I'm going to give you the five-fold ministry. <laughs> so hopefully that's something that will help you to remember. The five-fold ministry. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The Bible says men will heed to themselves teachers having itching ears. They will not endure sound doctrine. Sometimes this teacher uh, seems insignificant today in our culture, but he is so vital and important in the body of Christ. Van Gill, who was a mentor to me, he said that in, in his perception growing up, the teacher was, so the evangelist was the guy who would show up to your church and he was so exciting and he would pump the crowds up and everybody would shout and jump and run the aisles. But whenever the pastor said the teacher was coming, he said, man, I knew I was going to get to take a nap on Sunday evening during church. That, those are misconceptions that we had. That was something that, that, uh, that hindered Van Gill from stepping really into his true office, which he was the greatest teacher that I've ever met. He thought he had to be a pastor because he didn't want to fit into that mold of putting people to sleep. Teachers are significant. And this one's the pastor. They say there's a vein that runs from this finger all the way back to the heart. The pastor deals with our hearts, shepherds us. The evangelist, the furthest reaching, and, and don't hold that one up on its own. You'll get in trouble. You might get beat up. The evangelist, it's the furthest reaching on your hand. The prophet, repent, repent, repent. The, the, the apostle, he's the only one that can touch the other four. There's a picture of fivefold ministry. God says in Peter, we're going to look at this in just a minute, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And if you look at the, the, the language of the passage, it's literally saying, humble yourself under God's delegated authority. God entrusts men with authority. God ordains that men would lead his church. Men and women, when I use that word men, it's, it's, it's an inclusive term. God sets people into leadership in his church. That's God ordained. And it helps to bring unity. We're going to see this. For the equipping, verse 12, and here's the purpose. What's, what's the purpose of these gifts that God has put in his church? For, it's for the equipping of the, the saints for the work of ministry. So it's not for the pastor to do all the ministry. I, I want to do hospital visits. I, I want to go pray with people. I want to marry people and bury people and love your kids and counsel and all that. But I want a church that's engaged in all of that. I want an army. I don't want to be the only preacher. I want an army of preachers. Right? I don't want to be the only evangelist. I want an army of evangelists. I, I don't want to be the one that gives all the care ministry. I want an army of people that can do care ministry. That's what the body is supposed to look like. We, we are all called. Right? He's, he's, he's talking to me. He starts the, 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 uh, the chapter out saying, God has called you with a high calling. Right? And so the purpose of these fivefold ministers, as they're oftentimes referred to, is for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. And then for the edifying of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is all believers on planet earth. Right? That's the the purpose of these leaders, to equip saints to edify the body. And then in verse 13, we're coming to a point here, till we all come to the unity of the faith. How many of you realize you don't have all the truth? 
all of your doctrinal points are not right. Your way of baptizing, may have a, baptizing folks may have a hiccup. Your, your idea about the Godhead may have a hiccup. Your, your idea of some of these concepts, justification, the things we talked about over the last couple weeks, justification and sanctification and glorification and, and these things. Your, your idea about predestination, your ideas may not be 100% right. Or can you be okay with that? Can you realize that we're growing in truth? Day by day, our, our understanding, our knowledge of Jesus is maturing, should be, right? Can we acknowledge none of us are perfect? None of us have the perfect worldview. None of us have the perfect book of doctrine other than the Bible, but our little interpretations of that, it's not perfect. But we are growing, we are working towards something. We are coming to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is God's intent. That we, verse 14, should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up, and that's the purpose, the point, that we may grow up in all things to him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, the whole body, Look at your neighbor and say, I need you. And look at the neighbor on the other side. We, we need each other. We are a part of a body. When we, when we were saved, we were saved into a body. Don't reject the body. Don't despise the body. Yes, the one that really gets on your nerves, he's a part of that body. Right? We're all a part of one body. There's only one body. There's only one faith. There's only one baptism. And that person that grates you, gets on your nerves, that has a little bit of a doctrinal slant that you may not agree with, they're, they're a part of the same body. Right? From whom the whole body, verse 16, joined. We're connected. Joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Bill Royce has something to supply to this body. Forrest Babb has something to supply to this body. Edwin Babb has something to supply to this body. Every person sitting in the pew today has something to supply. Right? My knuckles do something. My blood cells do something. My veins do There's a function for every part of the body. You have a function. You were designed with a very specific function in the body of Christ. We need you. We need you to function. We'll be healthy if we're all functioning together, if we're striving together. Okay, moving on here. Every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Can you imagine a church where everybody contributes? Everybody is either on the baptism team or the parking lot team or outreach, care ministry. 
Every single body, member of the body making some kind of a contribution to that body. Can you imagine the vibrancy, the health, the life, the effectiveness? It's just statistically true across the board. We work with lots and lots of churches. We see this from church to church. About 15 to 20% of every church does all of the work. That's a reality. But the, the, the real deeper reality beyond that is that all of us have something to contribute. All of us have a part to play. All of us have a function in the body of Christ. That, that's the great truth, right? So I, I, I believe this. I, I believe that the plan of our enemy is, is to divide us, Amen. to separate us. We, we know about our enemy, right? We are not ignorant. In fact, that passage that I quoted earlier in Corinthians where he, he, he says that, you know, I, I forgive, at least Satan would have a stronghold, he says, because we are not ignorant of his devices. We're not ignorant of the way that he moves, right? We know a lot about our enemy. We, we can learn from Scripture a lot about our enemy. How, do, how does our enemy move? I, th- I, I think the, the, one of the clearest and greatest passages on this is in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says that the, the devil walks about like a roaring lion, Seeking whom he may devour. That's the way that our enemy moves, like a lion. How many of you have ever watched National Geographic, those lions, the herds, the hunting, and all the things that they do? Fascinating, amazing, beautiful. When you watch that, what you learn about the lion is they they, they chase the herd and they wait for what? The weak ones to fall out, right? That's exactly what the enemy does. The enemy wants to separate us out of the body. He wants to separate us out of the herd. It's the way that he operates. It's the way that he moves. He goes after the weak ones. He'll chase. Hey, some of the old ones are some of the strongest in the body of Christ. The, the ones that, who, who is it that he does chase out? The weak, the vulnerable, they're, they're the ones who are easily offended. You get offended, you separate. Insecure. You're in, you allow your insecurities to drive you away from the relationships God's brought to your life. Your connection to the body. Because of your insecurities, you withdraw, right? Uh, the, the people who are the least connected. Let me encourage you, get connected. Get connected. Find ways to get connected. Come to church early. Hang out in the parking lot. Hang out in the, in the foyer and talk, build relationships. Stay late. Come to, get, get involved in a small group. Show up on a Thursday night to Portland. Show up on a Monday afternoon here at the church and, and participate with the clothes closet. If we're doing an outreach, get involved in that. If we've got a prayer meeting, plug into it. You've got a, a, a special night of ministry or something, come. Get connected. Get plugged in. Go have coffee. I, I love, we got a group of young men uh, that b- back last year during our men's Bible studies, we, we paired men together in groups of three. And we encouraged them, hey, go have lunch one time. Connect. And we got a group of men that are still connecting to this day every week, having coffee together. I love that. Get connected. The least connected are the ones that fall away and suffer. We, we need relationship, and I hope but by the time we get through this, we'll, we'll, we'll make this point very, very clear. So people who are easy, easily offended, the enemy will pull out. People who are insecure, he'll pull out. People who aren't well connected, he'll pull out. People who are the most lofty and lifted up, 
I've got it all together. I, I have all the answers. You should listen to me. All, all these, these types of pride, right? Pride is weakness that will cause us to fall prey to the enemy. Pride will separate us in relationships because we'll refuse. We, we get dug in and entrenched and we refuse to forgive people. It's pride that will do that. It's pride. Listen to what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 18, the danger of isolation. I thought of this, this is not on the overhead. This is something I thought of this morning when I was studying and praying. But the danger of isolation, Proverbs 18, I love this. It says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he rages against all wise judgment. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. This is a, a great picture of this pride and how it, how it will cause us to isolate. It will cause us to, to withdraw. I've got all the answers. I'm the only one that's got it right. And before you know it, we have this arrogance that causes us to withdraw. And we isolate. And it says they, they rage against all sound wisdom. We need to be connected to the body. I need counsel. I, I, I've been through four years of Bible college. I've done all kinds of study in theology, I, am a, I, I watch week in and week out, I, I listen to preaching, I study the word of God, I do everything that I can. I still need counsel. 25 years of studying, I still need counsel. I still need a pastor. I, I need someone sometimes to help me walk through things and unpack things, help me see things that I'm not seeing, teach me things that I'm not understanding. We all need that. We can't isolate ourselves and hold ourselves up as the ultimate, as the supreme. Me and my, my we, we've got it all together, and churches tend to do this sometimes. Us four, no more mentalities. Isolation. And it cuts us off from the life of the body. That is the theme of Scripture. One of the great themes of the Bible is our life together as the body, as the church. We cannot allow the enemy to separate us. We cannot allow the enemy to divide us. We've got to work towards unity. First Peter, I want to read through this passage. We're, we're going to get to a conclusion, so this is the introduction to my conclusion. First Peter chapter 5. Verse 5, likewise, younger, submit. This is a key to unity, Submission. Submit to the elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive one to another. Submit to each other. We're, we're to submit, right? And that's not to be abused. I'm not submitting to people who are gonna trample me and punch me. That's not what it's inferring here. But submission is healthy. I, I, I come to term it this way, voluntary relationary submission. That's the government of the kingdom. Voluntary relationary submission. Willingly submitting myself to government in the church, willingly submitting myself to the body. We all need to take that position. That's the position pres prescribed in Scripture. Submit to the elders, submit to one another, be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That was the Scripture I was referring to. Humble yourself, and that literally is, it, it, there's the inference there contextually is under the God's delegated authority. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. And my, my pastor drove this concept 
home to me. Don't exalt yourself. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Submit. The way doors in ministry have opened for me, I submitted to the local church. I submitted to my pastor. I didn't push doors open. I don't, I don't send the emails out, they're, they're, and there are guys that do this. My pastor taught me not to do this. There's guys that send the emails out. You need to have me come preach at your church. I've never done that. I've never invited myself anywhere. I've never, I've never got on the, the, the and there, there are firms, and, and I'm not saying this is completely wrong, but there are firms that help churches to find pastors and things like that. I've never gone onto one of their websites to fill out an application. I've stayed connected where God put me. I've done what, it, and it, my, my first open door in ministry was teaching a seventh, eighth, and ninth grade junior high class. Being under my pastor's covering. Showing up for work days, trimming trees, being a part of the church dramas. I was Jesus' stunt double in the drama and a Roman soldier. Just showing up for whatever was going on in the church and serving. And then God began to open doors. Submit yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due season, he will exalt you. We don't have to promote ourselves. If we push doors open, we have to hold them open. If God opens the doors, then we can rely on him to keep that door open. Amen? Go through the doors God's open. Don't, Don't go pushing stuff open. Let God open doors for you. Let God exalt you. Let God promote you. I believe that's the way that it's supposed to work in the kingdom of God. Humble yourself so that he can exalt you. Cast your care upon him, for he cares for you. Verse 8, be sober. And, and, and I, I want to get into this right here. Be sober and be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Two key words there, be sober and be vigilant. Think of this as... as Sheeps, the analogy that, that the, uh, the scripture uses for us, sheep and the herd. The enemy is coming to hunt us. He's going to chase the herd, and then he's going to attack and devour the ones that fall out. How do we keep from falling out? How do we stay in the herd? Be sober and vigilant. Sober and vigilant. Be sober. Don't panic. Trouble comes. You hear the roar of the enemy. You hear the attacks. Room for, room for offense. Room for frustration. Stay sober-minded. Keep the mind of Christ. And then be vigilant. Be watchful. We need to be on guard. The enemy's going to spring up. We need, we need to be aware of that, and we just need to be vigilant. Because the, 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 way, that we, the way that we overcome the enemy is very simple. It's right there. Resist him. Right? Verse 9, resist him. Be steadfast in the faith, knowing that the sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the word. I, I love how this passage in Peter and the passage that we started with in Philippians both deal with unity, the brotherhood, and suffering. How many of you know it's better to suffer together than by yourself? Everybody wants somebody to come visit them when they're in the hospital. 
right? When you're, when you're going through a divorce, that companion that will come alongside of you and, and love you and build you and encourage you, right? The brotherhood and suffering is essential. This is important to our walk. If we're going to be healthy, if we're going to, to, to stand and resist the enemy, these are concepts. I would encourage you to go through. I, I, I'm just hitting the highlights here. I would encourage you. These passages that I'm giving you today, go, go and read these and let these things get settled into your heart. Let them change your understanding. Let them help you to grow and your, your understanding of the importance of unity and, and the ways that we strive for unity in the church, the way that we strive together. And we're going to unfold this. That's why I said we're going to take a few weeks and we're going to look at all these concepts. Verse 10, he says, But may the God of grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle. Just get the picture of the great shepherd. The enemy's coming. He's, he's stirring. He's roaring. He's nipping at the heels. But the great shepherd is settling us. He's watching over us. He's establishing us. Amen? Okay, here's the conclusion. The real deal. I believe this. We, we need to look for ways to unite. Our human nature, our carnal nature, is to look for reasons to divide. And that's very, very easy to do. It takes work to find ways to unite. I'm going I'm to read some scriptures, and I'm going to share a, just a quick story. And these aren't on the overhead. Take notes. Go back and watch the live stream. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul says, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you but that you are perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Here's an appeal for unity. Romans chapter 12, verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 through 9, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. That sounds so much different than so much of the stuff we see in churches. Fighting over this, fighting over that, this doctrine, that doctrine, carpet color, I mean, all the stupid stuff we get in fights about. It's the kingdom of God being established through his body. It's us surrendering our rights, our opinions, our own will to the will of our Father. In, in, in the, 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 uh, the Lord's Prayer, it's, it's what we're taught to ask for, Right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus modeled it in a great and powerful way. Not my will. You think Jesus really wanted in his, in his humanity to die on that cross? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. 
This is what brings unity. Last passage, Jesus, he says, I I do not pray, this is John 17, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. I I recently went to a meeting, and I wasn't too excited about the guy who was going to be speaking. I knew about this guy, this man um, has some notoriety, notoriety, he's been on television, and has, has a, a kind of a worldwide platform, and I knew kind of the way he, his ministry operated. It just wasn't my cup of tea. Even some things that I, I know doctrinally that he believes that don't set well with me. So I kind of went in this meeting with some pre, preconceived ideas. And, you know, he, he preached, and it was exactly what I anticipated. It was. And then we got afterwards a bunch of a group of ministers in a dining hall, and I was making my way actually out, getting ready to leave. And the pastor who was hosting grabbed me and he said, Hey, I want you to meet this gentleman who spoke tonight. He introduced us, and it was one of the kindest, gracious, life infusing, life giving conversations that I've ever had. In a way, I felt like I was talking to Jesus. We started landing on common friends and common experiences and common goals. And as I got out of that and walked out to the car, got in the car and began to drive away, I began to think, you know what? This body is a whole lot bigger than my little narrow perception. Are there things that he's dead wrong? I know there's some things that contradict, that he said contradict Scripture. What's the point? We need to work towards unity. We need to strive to find ways to unite. Some of, one of my greatest experiences in the last year has been, able to, been an opportunity to sit down with a gentleman who is a professor at Southern Seminary. Doctrinally, there's some things, especially in the area of, of um, cessationism and continuationism, there's some areas where our Worldview, our theology doesn't mesh. But I'm going to tell you, we have sat in the gym with our kids playing basketball, talking about Jesus. And you know what the overwhelming feeling is? Do I agree with them on every doctrinal point? I don't. But the overwhelming feeling is this man belongs to Jesus. This man is full of the Spirit of God. This guy is more like Christ than some people that I know that speak in tongues.
We need to look for ways to unite. Am I talking about compromise? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. If you deny the deity of Christ, I'm going to stand and say, no, he's the son of God. If you deny the virgin birth, I'll quote to you scripture after scripture. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. I'll stick with the scriptures. But we need to look for ways. I'm not telling us, I'm not asking you to compromise. Hold firm. Hold firm. That, that conversation that I told you with, about with that gentleman, it didn't change my belief system at all. Our, our differences are in the way that the Holy Spirit operates. The, our, our views of the way the Holy Spirit operates. My, my view about that didn't change at all. But I came to understand this is, a, this is a man who's been saved and redeemed and is a part of the body. And if we, I believe this, if we can learn to relate to people in that way, we're, we're not going to compromise. Our doctrine is not going to get watered down. I think our, our doctrine, all of us together as a body, will get stronger. I, I believe what that passage in Ephesians says, that, that we're coming to the unity of the faith. We're not yet there, but we're moving towards it. And I'll have to say that in America, in my lifetime, I've seen a lot of the walls of division have come crumbling down because men have humbly been able to sit down at tables with men that thought differently about different doctrines in the scripture. I watched a video this week of three men debating pre-amillennial and post-millennial viewpoints. You know, at the end of their conversation, they said the only thing that we, any of us can say emphatically that we know for sure is that Jesus is coming again and he's going to set his kingdom up. Amen. So we can be dogmatic about those things. We know those things are scheduled, are, 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 are clearly communicated in the scripture and we can, we can land on those and agree on those things. Right? I, I wish I could think of the, there, there's a, uh, I think Wesley, somebody originated, originated with somebody else, but uh, John, uh, Charles Wesley, no, John Wesley used to quote it all the time, and I'm, I'm going to get it wrong, but he's, he says we need to have, uh, yeah, I'm going to mess it up big time. We, we need to have um, unity on the essentials and charity on non-essentials, and I missed the, the third, but that, that's basically it. There are some things that are absolutely essential, and we have to unite on those things, right? Amen. The word of God is inerrant. You, you will never back me off of that. It's God-inspired. It's the word of God. It's God-breathed, right? I'm going to hold on to that. Jesus is the son of God. You'll never get me off of that doctrine. It's born of a virgin. You've got to be born again to see the kingdom. There are things that are clear, and I'm going to hold firm to those things. How do the gifts work in the church? Hey, we can have some love there and we can grow together in that area. Right? How, how does the church take an offering? It's not clearly outlined in the Bible, so we can, we can disagree and love each other through it and come to a better place. What time should church be on Sunday morning? 
Should, should we start a second service? All these things that we begin to argue about. Can, can, we, can we work together and have love and find agreement on things instead of dividing over them? Let's look for ways to unite instead of looking for ways to divide. Let, let me just, one more time, and I'll ask you to stand. Hopefully what, I, what, I, what I've said, let, let's read this passage and hopefully it brings some light. We're gonna, we're, and we're gonna delve further into these concepts about unity over the next few weeks. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. Can we get united? For the sake that we might suffer for Christ and that our conduct would be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us be of one mind and one spirit, striving together. If we don't agree, let's sit down and let's talk. Let's have a coffee and a donut or a cupcake. <laughs> Joke from this morning. Had to be there. And let's talk through it. Let's grow together. Amen? It's amazing what happens when you, with humility and gentleness and long-suffering, sit down with a brother that you have seen as an adversary because of a certain viewpoint or a certain attitude, and you can sit together and listen and love each other some of those experiences have been the most life-giving experiences that I've ever experienced in my life. Amen? Stretch out across the aisles. Listen, if you're going to be baptized, we'll give you an opportunity to go ahead and slip out. You just go right down to the fellowship hall, and they'll meet you there and help you to get prepared to be baptized. But let, let's stretch across the aisles. I, I want us to connect. Is it all right if we connect? Grab a hand. If that, if, I get it. If you're not comfortable doing that, that's fine. But I would encourage us. Let, let's connect. And I'm gonna, I want to pray for us as the church, as the body of Christ. Father, in Jesus' name. Father, we ask for unity. And Lord, not a unity that's built around compromise, but a unity that's built around love. Lord, build strength into your body. Lord, I, I pray that, Lord, I see a lot of attacks, Christians attacking other Christians and Lord, help us to stand and to live lives where our conduct is worthy of the gospel, where we're strong and capable and willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Lord, advance your kingdom through our lives, Lord God. Lord, help us to grow together. Help us all, every one of us, come to the better understanding of truth, of who you are. Reveal yourself to us, Lord God. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we, we surrender our opinions to the lordship 
of Jesus Christ. We surrender our ideas to the authority of your word. And Lord, may that surrender bring us to a place of better understanding. May that bring us to truth. May that bring us to a unity, Lord, that's not a a false unity that's built on compromise. But let it be a strong unity that's based on who you are, your word, your kingdom, and our love for one another. Father, I thank you for that. Thank you for putting us together. Thank you for connecting us, joining us together. May we be a people that are well connected. May we work well together. May we strive together for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of your purpose, Lord God. Let us not fight battles that are rooted in our opinions. Let us contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Father, I thank you for that. I give you praise for that, Lord God. Let a great strength of unity come to this body and to the body of Christ at large. Father, help us to understand our need, our dependency upon one another. Father, I pray that what you prayed in John chapter 17 would become more and more evident, more and more true of your people. Father, I thank you for it. I give you praise for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.